Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is John Kenny. He's the COO, Technical Director, Lobbyist at Cotney Construction Law. John, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so so you have a, a ton of experience in the, the roofing industry. When did, when did this all start for you? Well, I'm actually third generation, so I was born into it. My, my granddad started a company in 1924 and went over to my dad and I worked in it. So I'd say my first memories of it, I have a picture hanging in my office where I was in 1965. I was three years old. I was standing on top of a, a tar tanker truck. So oh, wow. it's, been, it's been a long time. I, I really started uh, pretty much not full time. I was still in school from the time I was about 13 on up. It was summers, weekends, anytime I could do to be roofing. It was a little little different back then. You didn't have regulations. If you were a, a child of someone who was in the industry, you could go to work. You had to get papers. Not like today where you have to be 18. So I've been in it since as long as I can possibly remember. Mm. So with family b- businesses, I guess people can go in, in different directions. Were you always kind of on that roofing path or did you ever think about going in a different direction? I think for the most part, I was always on that path. I, I loved the idea of working outside. I felt really loved working with my hands. At that time, that's what drew me to it, being able to travel to different areas, different buildings. But I will tell you, when I was in high school, I did have a thought of being, I love the weather. Um, I still kind of get kid around a lot now about being the weatherman because that's my hobby. And um, I did consider going to school to be a meteorologist, but I ended up choosing roofing and I'm happy that I made the choice. A very, very, very good choice to me. Well, I think having the uh, the skill to predict weather is uh, pretty critical in roofing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, I enjoy that part to be able to uh, make the right weather projection once in a while. So it's, it's a <laughs> hobby and fun. <laughs> very cool. So, so you started, I guess, on, on the physical labor side, and then you moved into more managerial roles. Was that kind of your progression? Yeah, that's correct. I started working out in the field. I pretty much did every job from common labor up to journeyman roofing. And then I started progressing inside from there. I ran crews for probably about 10 years at a foreman supervisor level besides. And then I progressed in and uh, learned estimating, learned more about proper management, did a lot of night schooling, learned a lot of techniques that I still use today. And then from there, just progressed on up, of course, more on the management side. And then, you know, all the way up through, you know, like chief operating officer position and company. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed my career over the years. Yeah, no, it's good. You, you had a very holistic view of things. So now you're in a role, you're more in an advisory role and you're, you're with uh, Cottony. And so looking at sort of the roofing organization, the, the, the contractor organization, what are the common areas where companies struggle? Well, a lot of, we talk, it's funny, we have a lot of conversations with uh, people in the industry. And usually there's two types of people that actually start their own roofing company. And what I mean by that are two skill sets. 
usually don't find a total mix of it. So one skill set is you're very sales oriented. You go out, you know, it's about getting work and all that. And then sometimes you struggle a little more on the operational side of getting it done. Then we also see the opposite side of it where you're more operationally, you know, adapt to putting it down and then you may lack in the sales. So usually that's where we find most leaders and owners of companies falling into one of those two. And, you know, that's where they usually need the most help is understanding the other or really building the team around them to do the things. That's that's really what makes a leader strong in any company, for that matter, or any business or any field is you do what you do best and you hire people and get them on your team around you to accent you and do the things that you need. You don't do the best. in. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of work with that, helping people put their teams together. But I see definitely that's. That's the main role. You, you always seem to be one side or the other. There are some exceptions that have, you know, have that have done the whole thing, but that's where I see it. Mm. Well, in your opinion, which which person has the easier path to a successful organization? The technical leader or the, the sales leader on average? Well, I'll tell you, that's a really great question. It's not really a straight answer. What I mean is <laughs> no common answer. I will tell you if you're on a sales path, you probably will generate your revenue a lot faster. So growth is probably quicker. Operationally, though, you usually find out that you can, if you, so if you're sales and you can't find a good operation person to handle with you, you usually have a lot of struggles because you're bringing more work in than you can possibly do. If you're very operationally based and that's where you are, as long as you can get somebody to generate your income, right, get your sales going for you, you've got control over your field operations. So I think as far as that goes, they're almost equal on struggles, but the difference is the sales-oriented person is going to build their backlog up usually a lot faster than a pure operational salesperson. But then again, the operational person will be able to get to work done a lot lot more efficiently. So like I said, it wasn't a very, it's not a straight answer that you Mm. can just say one or the other. I think it's a combination. Mm. So... So you have a, a sales leader, you have a sort of a technical or operations focused uh, leader, then I guess, so you're saying that it's the who that's the most important. It's the, it's the counterpart that you have to bring in, or is it, is it some other thing that needs to be done, like a skill set to bridge that? Yeah, the, if I was to make a rec- one recommendation on the skill set, what I find in both sides, whether you're sales heavy or operational heavy, usually your business skills are not the greatest. So even though you could be the best roofer in the world or you could be the best salesperson in the world, you're usually lacking very much on, on the business side. So that, that's what I see to date. So that's where the skill set needs to be taught is mm. business operate. You know, not operations or putting the roof down, but operations of your own company. Mm. So how much of that sort of our business knowledge is based on understanding P&Ls and materials and how, how much is it based on having a structure like a, a sort of an organizational structure mission vision like a, what what does that business side look like well i would say on the uh, as far as understanding the financials the pnl enough info you know enough understanding of that I, i'd put that between a 20 and 40 percent on that i would say i go with the difference on it to, for the structure because the op- any kind of a structure, standard operating procedures, how you run your company, how you get your message out, everything you do, that will make or break you regardless of any of those three skills, business, uh, you know, understanding, 
sales understanding or operational. It's, it's all about the procedures to get you there. So that's probably the hardest thing I've learned over the last 40 years and knew I had a master was not, you know, learning how to do financials, how to understand accounting and all that, not a big problem. You pick that up. But getting that skill set that really gets you to understand how to properly organize and get everything to come together and, you know, building teams and getting teams to work together, that that's that's a big, big part of it. Mm. So you talk about building teams. Were there certain mentors or resources that you tapped to to really understand that? Or was it just a lot of trial and error? How did it come together for you? Well, I think I first learned about team building all the way back out in the field. That starts with being a foreman. If you really want to be a successful foreman, and that would be in any construction trade, not just roofing, if you learn how to run your crew as a team, you will be very productive, efficient, and you'll also have the respect of the people that work on your team. That is a game. So that's a life, that's an experience you got to really learn as you go. So then when you come inside and you're trying to build teams, larger teams that consist of, you know, accounting, HR, I mean, all kinds, sales, operational, that really you want to lean. I always found I did a lot of reading. In fact, you know, back then we didn't have the internet when I first came up. So it was really book reading and learning that way. So I really enjoyed, I read a lot of uh, leadership skill books. I definitely read, read a lot of like Navy SEAL, operational, military, all those type of things. If you can learn the strategy, strategy is a big part of any business or operational game. And that comes, there's nothing better than the military. And it doesn't just have to be U.S. military. I've read a lot of, lot of military structure books from different, different eras of the world and different parts of the world. That, that's a big key strategy. Yeah, very nice. So with, I guess, your development, what, what are some of the more recent things that, that you're working on? Because I know you're continually improving yourself as, as part of this process. What are you currently starting to target in terms of improvement? Well, I always like to, I always like to read subjects on uh, sales. And then I like to read uh, strategy and continue. There's always new strategy right now, not, not to jump onto the political side of where we're at, but political strategy of running campaigns and uh, going back through history, another great way. It's just fantastic to read about, you know, you go back to Roosevelt and different eras of American history and see how they got their messages out and how they did it. Oh, history is a great teacher of learning to do better in the future. So I always like to get onto that. And of course, today you have the advantage. I love YouTube and I love the videos and the different things you can really drill down and podcasts and all that. It's, it's fantastic. So I always try to build... I try to round myself. I try to build on the sales side. I try to build on the strategy side. And then I try to learn something new. So I always want to save time to be able to read the video, watch, learn something that I didn't know prior so that I pick up a new skill set. Wonderful. Yeah, and you brought up something that I really wanted to ask you is history. You love history. I love the stuff you post on social media about sort of the things uh, that, that you have, I, I believe, photos and, and things that, that have highlight different eras. Did that sort of start more recently or were you always interested in history? I, I've always been interested in history. I really, when I first started in the 70s in roofing and around my family business, 
there was a, a room we used to call it the nail room. Basically what it was, was a small storage room. And I started exploring in there as a young man. And I would find things from the twenties, the thirties and the forties. I'm like, wow, this is cool. You know, you find different things. And then you didn't realize what then exactly it was, but I just kept it. You know, I liked the picture that was on the catalog or I found some piece of equipment that was different. Then as I got older, I'm like, this is really interesting. And I started researching it. And you're right. I have a pretty extensive roofing history and construction history. I love old photos because I collect as many of them as I can find in original prints. Because once they're gone, they're gone. So I try to get them, preserve them. I do load everything digitally for that reason. So there's always preservation. But history always tells a story. And, and you know, even if you follow, what I really like is take roofing industry. You start back there and, you know, come so far, you got American history. There's companies that have roots back to when George Washington and the revolution, and they came through the 1800s and 1900s. And you can follow their progression of products and systems that they brought out that really tightly follow the whole economic drive of the United States through those areas. And it's truly amazing to go back and, you know, as you've seen them on my post, you find a sales or a collection letter from 1900 or the 1890s, and the penmanship is absolutely superb. And it's kind of, if somebody sent you a collection letter, but you were happy to receive it because it was so well written. So it's amazing <laughs> how times have changed and you can even learn that from roofing history. Wonderful. So I think you partially answered my next question, but looking back and seeing trends, because so, sometimes people look at the, the current and say, oh, it's never happened before and, and this is new and it's changing. But if you look through history, there's, there's always change. So what does sort of your understanding of history teach you about new products and adoption and all that stuff? Well, one thing is when you study through history and products coming out, you will find out the ones that they thought were going to be the new revolutionary product, and it turned out to be a failure. So, but by looking back in history, you have the opportunity to study why it was a failure and what went wrong. And of course, like today, when they did it, just like today, when you're doing something, you're, you don't know. So what I like to go back is, especially in businesses and how they expand it and manufacturers bringing out products is to look at the trail what was successful, watched how they marketed those products, how the marketplace took on to them. And if they were successful, believe it or not, you can mirror that today and still have a successful program in whatever you want to do. And by darn, if you look at the ones that failed, you can pick out any point of history and find out they basically repeated history and they did the same thing. And guess what? They failed. So that's why I think the sayings always come. If you don't learn from history, history will repeat itself. So very interesting. No, no, that's perfect. So let's unpack that a little bit. Give me a, a great example of a sort of a product or technology of sort of yesteryear that was rolled out and what some of the elements that you sort of picked out as, as being excellent. Well, as being excellent, I, I think if you go back to your, let's just go with built up roofing. I think sure. built up roofing it's still a product used today. You know, we still use it. It's, it may be a different formulation than that. But there's a good example of a product that had good traits and also bad traits. What happened was bad. They got into asbestos felts, which actually the early advertising on that tells you that that was the miracle of, of all miracles. You know, it was going to solve the world. It had uh, fire ratings. It prevented this. It, did, it was strength. It was a great product. But we know what the after effects were from it. 
But then if you look at the asphalt and the actual system of multiple plies and building up, the system's still there today. So the concept that they designed for multiplied roofing back when it came out probably 1840s is when they first got into multiply roofing of more than one ply with a coal tar base because asphalt didn't really come into the 1800s, 1880s. That's still used today, that whole principle. So that was a great principle. Then, uh, I mean, coatings. Coatings is another one. If you look back, coatings started out as porch paint on tin roofs. And let's look how well that's evolved. I mean, I know through my uh, life cycle, coatings did get a bad name at certain points. They had a great name, but I think coatings is one is a really great product. And it's not a great story because the industry stuck with it. They improved it. They got it to where it was. And it's now it can be used to preserve roofs, extend lives and other things. So I think coatings is a success story. Single plies is a success story as well. I mean, let's look at EPDMs. They first came out. There was glued. The system was great, except for the seams failed. They developed better seams. Then they got into the heat welding, and it's a product that's probably 80% of the marketplace today. So now well, it'll be great to look back, but I know I won't be here 50, 60 years from now to see how end, well the story ends, but it's a good story. Yeah, no, wonderful. So yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, definitely looking looking back at that history is uh, very valuable. What's out of your collection, what is the most sort of treasured thing that you you own or you have? Well, let's see. I think I've got some rare stuff. I've got stuff that dates back to the early 1800s that are original, so like 1820s. I think, though, as far as we'll call it a prized possession that I really <laughs> like, the Library of Congress roof in the 1820s the, the, in the Congress actually had a leak in it. And because it was the Library of Congress was underneath the Congress at that time, they actually had roofer had to be brought before the like 20, whatever, seventh Congress to actually testify and explain why his roof failed. And then they made judgment upon him in front of Congress that he had to go fix the roof. Well, I have the original transcripts from that congressional session. It's all about roofing history. It, goes, it actually has drawings of what was done. It has the whole history of that entire outcome of a, of a poor roofer. And I call him a poor roofer. Some guy probably tried to do the right thing, and he ended up going before the United States Congress. And, and there was an actual ruling that made him go repair the roof. So there's a good piece of history. It's the value of it, you know, who, who knows? But I think historical value of it, especially in the industry, is great. You know, and then we have other things, a lot more flary things. We have, you know, we have some really rare manuals, both Trent and I do. Trent has a great collection too. Trent has a lot of signs. I go more for the historical stuff, the uh, billheads, letterheads, early manuals. I have a couple original pieces, but I think the oddest piece I have is I have a 1972 Soviet Union government guide to how to put roofs down. It's all in Russian. And it's really pretty neat. So I think that's probably one of the otter pieces I have. That's awesome. So you're talking about roofing and then sort of contractor construction as a whole. If you're, if someone that was not in roofing, but they were a contractor or in construction were was going into roofing, what would they need to know that would be specific to roofing in terms of running a business? Well, I, I think, a lot of the advice that I give to, to people coming in, even though roofing is a business and it is in the construction industry, 
roofing companies run completely different than most other businesses. There's definitely no doubt about that. I've seen it happen. I've learned it. I've experienced it. So one thing that, and I think you touched on it before when you asked me the question about skill sets, I, I will have seen more companies fail because they did not have structured procedures in place for anything. You know, and it starts with how you sell to how you bring the job in and set it up to how you do the job, your customer service, your closeout. And then a lot of them do that well, and they forget about something. You still have to bill and collect your money on time. So I think everyone probably that's going to come into the roofing business has enough construction experience, or they learn it. They, they're going to have a skill set sales like we, we talked about. But structure, if you don't have a solid structure in place, it's the stats will show that about 85% of businesses without a proper structure will fail in the first two years. Mm. So I, that's a high failure rate. So mm. that would be my recommendation. If yeah. you don't know how to do it, get with somebody that does know how to do it and get your structures in place. Yeah. So you talked about sales uh, structure and to, so just to visualize to what extent do you document? Because I, I, I've heard various things for various industries on how, how detailed they go. For the roofing industry, how granular do you get with the sales process? And what level of flexibility is there on that process? Well, on sales, I think the more structured you are, the better off you're going to be. It should be very granular. You should have how many calls you're going to make in a week. You should definitely have, a, you know, I'll call it a filter. That's my word I've always used. You should filter what you're going to bid, what you're going to go after. You should know what your company's strengths and weaknesses are, what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you'll make money at, what you won't. Filter your incoming work by that. If it's something you're not good at, you're better off nine times out of, probably 9.9 .9 times out of 10, walking away from it. So that all starts in the sales process. You filter your stuff as it comes in. You have to track it. You need to, you know, you need to set goals. How many phone calls are you going to make? We all know in the industry, any industry, and it comes to sales, you're not going to make, you, maybe if you get lucky, you'll make it on the first or second try. But you usually have to talk to somebody five to seven, maybe eight times before you're going to close on a deal. Have all those structures in place. You cannot be too structured or granular on sales, that's for sure. Mm, interesting. So you, you, you've been a, an operator inside a very large roofing organization. Now you're in a new role. What has changed for you with your new role? Well, I, I think when you're on the, on the, in the field, right, you're doing your work, you're in the they're doing it, you're, whether you're COO, SMA, whatever, you are totally tied. To, you've got a, a vision, you've got a focus, you've got to get it done, right? You have to get it done. That's what you're there to do. So like as a COO, my job was to make sure everyone got it done. All the pieces matched, the wheels kept turning. There'd always be you know, a flat tire somewhere, and I, you know, blow out, whatever. you got to fix it, whatever it is. So here, I, I'm more in advisory, more in the teaching, more in the understanding. It's getting the information out. So it's a little bit different. So Stress level on the other side is a nine. Stress level here is a lot lower, but you got more time to be more strategic and help people out on this side. So I think that's the biggest, you know, the biggest difference. It's more using your skill set that you've learned over the years, and you have to become more of a teacher, a coach, an advisor on this side. Where the other side, I think you still need it to be a team builder and a coach, but you still have to be a lot more hands-on to get it done. Mm. I know that Cotney has moved into Canada and I think you, you're sort of launching a, a business advisory practice. 
How are you guys thinking through that launch? Like going from the US to Canada or kind of launching this new division? How do, how do you envision this all sort of uh, working out? Well, we're doing very well. I mean, we're, we're currently in two markets in uh, two main offices in Canada. We have one in Toronto and one in uh, Montreal, you know, in Quebec. So very well. It, it was definitely different, even though the cultures are very similar, United States and Canada. But it, it's still different. Businesses operate differently. You go to business a little bit differently. Plus, with the COVID this year, after we launched them, travel's pretty much been non-existent. So, you know, it's been Zoom meetings and we do a lot of statistical, you know, analysis. That's how we keep track of everything. But overall, I would say it is going according to plan. We're very happy we did it. We're, we're seeing huge growth up there in Canada. So we're very happy that we came across the border. Yeah. So you, you, you talked about sort of sales within roofing organization. Now you're within a advisory legal organization. I know marketing and and sales is different in legal. I mean, can you comment on that? Well, yeah. So to put it in a short, in legal side, you have to follow a lot of bar rules. There's a lot of things you got to do. You can't do things you're used to doing. That I can tell you from being on the other side takes a lot of getting used to. But, you know, you get used to it and, and there's a lot more networking and, you know, social media is big. It's really big in today's world. Capture that. But there's a lot more guidelines that you follow on this side than you ever have to do on any other side. That's for sure. Yeah. What, what are some general guidelines for, for people that don't know? Well, you have to most pretty much everything that you do, any kind of advertising or any kind of promotions has to get approved. So you have to, and if you say, okay, how hard can that be? Well, that's every jurisdiction that you're operating in. Like we have, I think now, 24 offices in different states. There were 24 states, and then you're in Canada. And trust me, Canada and in uh, Ontario and Canada and Quebec, they are two completely different worlds, as I'm sure you know. It's just the regulations and the way you go to business. So everything just takes patience, timing, and, and get your plan. So you have to be a lot more plan ahead, right? Because you just can't decide tomorrow you want to launch something because somebody has to look at it. You got to present it. So you really strategically, you got to be planned ahead quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. So I, you've been in this roofing industry a very long time. Have you had any close calls? I, 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 I talked to a lot of roofers and they have sort of moments where they kind of felt like they were sort of, I guess they, they ran into the situation that was very dangerous. Have you have you had your close calls? Yes, I have had my close calls. I, I actually, in probably late 80s, early 90s, I actually fell off a roof. Oh. And that was as close as calls I ever wanted to get. It was a freak accident. It came down to the fact that somebody, we were putting a, a built-up roof on, we mopped over, and someone didn't take the precautions and put covering over the hole. So I was a mop man back then, and I was going backwards. Well, of course, you know what happened. It looked like it was roofed. It wasn't. And I actually went down about 18 feet onto a concrete slab, but I was one of the lucky ones. So that was as close as I ever want to come because I didn't break anything, but I was banged up for a while. But thanks to the Lord, I, I survived through it and made it through. So that was the closest call I ever had. And that was yeah. once, once enough. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, what, what's the, uh, I guess, one of the last few questions, what's the best uh, advice you've ever gotten from anyone? Well, ooh, well, that's a good question. I think thinking back, 
probably from my grandfather. I know my grandfather, he, um, I think I was 13 when he passed away. He ended up getting cancer. So I was lucky enough to be old enough to remember speaking with him. And, you know, and he always used to sit me down and we'd go through these conversations. And at the time, I probably didn't, re- you know, I kind of understood him and I didn't. But as I got older, I started to see the wisdom in it. And he basically, you know, one of the things he told me, which has always stuck with me, he said, look, and I didn't get it at the time. He says, the guy that walks down the street and has the fanciest clothes on and pretends he's the richest man in the, in the town is usually the poorest man in the town. And then he goes, the guy that walks down the street that you look at him and say, oh, he doesn't really look like he has anything. He's the richest guy in the town. So I didn't really understand at the time. I was thinking money, right? Like most people would have. I was probably 11 at the time. But what he was instilling in me when I really got old enough to think about it was, it doesn't matter what you look like or how people think of you. The guy that probably didn't care about being fancy and presenting himself in that manner, that was the guy that had the biggest heart and was out doing the best good for everybody. And the guy that really didn't have anything going for him, he probably had a lot of money, but because he, he didn't have the charity in his heart to go do good for his community. So at the time, I really didn't understand what he was telling me. But as I got older, I did. And then, of course, my father shared with me later in life, that's exactly the message he was trying to get through to me. So when I think about that today, it really comes to respect, right? I was raised and I truly believe that regardless whether, in, you know, when I started out as a blue collar, straight line worker, all the way up to what I'm doing, whether you're sweeping the floors or whether you're working on Wall Street, you earn respect by, you know, you get respect by earning respect. Treat everybody the way you want to be treated. And that's how I really think that's the advice I was getting instilled in me by my grandfather at a young age. And I still take that today. Treat people as you want to be treated. Awesome, John. Great message. And thank you. Thank you for spending the the time to uh, sharing your knowledge. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the time being on here. And I, I do. It was really good talking to you today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.